Blair and Barker. Uh, ben Ennis filling in for Jeff Blair this week and uh, Monday. We're on Sportsnet 590, the fan and Sportsnet. Still called Blair and Barker. Um, Blair's not going to be here Monday either. No, Monday. Jeez. It's a long vacation for him. Holy I don't know what he's doing moly. exactly. Having a good time. Sure he's running somewhere. But it's it's you and me, man. Yeah. Exciting times, oh, right? Man, I'm pumped. <laughs> I am pumped. All right. I almost believe you. Yeah, yeah. normally I'm I'm doing the show just before you guys and and um you, you come in here with all your cleaning supplies and I, I'm like kind of offended because I I feel like no, you're you, you think like I'm filthy. What are you gonna do now? You have to spend two hours encased in a in a room with well, me. Well, as long as you're clean, we're cool. I am. Okay. Very clean. Yeah. Just showered. Uh, perfect. We're good. All right, we're off to a good start. Yeah. Uh, Blue Jays off to a horrible start against teams within their division. 6-16 Six and 16 against the American League East, Kevin. 0-4 oh now against the Orioles. Good news, when they don't play teams within their division, they're very good. Like one of the best mm-hmm. teams in baseball. In fact, just behind the Rays as far as their record outside of the division, 31-15. and 15. Um, and I guess it's good that you only play your divisional opponents 13 times a season now and not 19, but it's been, it's been a tough slog, I would say, for the Blue Jays against the beasts of the American League East, which I guess now we have to include the Baltimore Orioles. It's the middle of June. They're hanging in. Yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this. The Orioles are better than the Blue Jays. Like, it's it's a fact now. Like, it's not you're not wondering whether – you know, the Blue Jays just gotten off to a bad start. They had a bad stretch. The Orioles took advantage of that. Mm. You know, no, they're a good team. Like, you got to make good pitches. You got to catch the ball. You got to throw it to the right base. You got to, you know, if you got a chance of robbing a homer, you got to, you know, time up your your jump perfect to make those plays on the road. You just mentioned the record, 6-16 six now. You know, you got to do all the little things to beat the the little engine that could, squared. You know, the Rays are the little engine that could, one. So, mm. yeah, it's, look, uh, until, for me, some hitting coaches get Matt Chapman and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in a room and tell Matt Chapman to, you know, take a breath, have a little fun, uh, just because there is nobody else to pay in the offseason, you're going to make tons of money. Mm-hmm. Go out and have a good time. Try and be on time all the time offensively. You know, get your foot down on time, whatever that takes. If that's a toe tap, if that's a eliminate the toe tap and go back to what you were doing last year, whatever it takes to get the barrel out in front to be able to square up fastballs, he's getting good pitches to hit. He's not chasing, just not hitting them. How do you get back to being on time with your front foot? And if I'm quite frankly one of the hitting coaches, I'm saying to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., we got to figure out your game plan because if we don't, Quite frankly, I won't have a job next year. Like, it's it's really getting to the point where a lot of this is determined on whether you can get the big boy in the middle of the order doing things that he could do, say, in 2021. Why is it so different now? And the same amateur approaches, I'll say it, because that's exactly what it is. A guy who is elite offensively like he is consistently goes out and runs the amateur approaches that's stuff that I did when I played. Mm. Like, do the same thing over and over and over again, hoping that it'll work once in a while. They can't afford to have him doing it once in a while. So if you're hitting coaches, you simplify. It's not mechanical. Like, we've seen enough of his good stuff to say, I know he does the little, you know, the hand separation that he was doing last night, and everybody's eye. look, that's, that's what it is. No, it ain't. And then he chases a, a two-strike pitch that's not even close to the plate. Mm. That's what it is. 
right? It's what's your approach? He's the guy in 2021 that would walk by a coach or a buddy and that buddy or that coach would go, hey, what are you trying to do this at bat? Are you looking up? Are you looking in? Are you looking away? Are you sitting soft? Do that until you get to two strikes. We haven't been seeing that, right? Because you can tell when he walks to the plate, it's everywhere. It's all the approaches, right? If I'm looking fastball, I'm swinging at it no matter where it's at. Instead of going up, I'm looking fastball in and maybe up. If I have to cheat, open up the front side, leak a little bit with my front shoulder to get the barrel out in front and hit that thing to the moon, I'm going to do it because that's called an approach because from an elite offensive player. They got to figure that out. Like this again, it's – you mentioned the records. It's getting to where – the sample size is bigger now. It's growing. The same approaches over and over and over again. It's like Matt Chapman, right? Every once in a while, you got to have fun. It's baseball. It's a round thing with a round thing, right? I don't you know. Is that, is that his DNA, though, to uh, be that guy? Yeah, he's a tinker. Like, he, he wants to do things every single pitch different. Mm. Does it look different to you? No, it looks the exact same thing. But if you're telling yourself mentally that I'm going to, you know, do this and I'm going to start here and I'm going to kick this and I'm going to look for this and I'm going to do that, and it starts feeling that way, but it never looks any different. Mm. That's the way it looks to everybody that ever watches him. This doesn't look different, right? That's what I said. Try and just simplify that thing and maybe occasionally have a little fun. Baseball's fun. Like the sample size of you not being real good is pretty big now. Like, other yeah. than April. Since the start of May, Matt Chapman with an OPS of 589. There you go. So why not now? Whatever you're doing, whoever's talking to you, ain't saying what you want to hear and what you're trying to do at the plate's not working. So try something that'll allow you to simplify it. And again, I say this, and people are going to roll their eyes. It's baseball. It's a sport. Every once in a while, you got to have a little fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to, you know, walk away and and – if I get out, I get out. It's fun. Like, I, I'll figure it out because everything I'm doing off the field is translating to batting practice. It's just for whatever reason, I'm not doing it between the lines when it matters the most. I thought I thought the whole motto of the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays was not don't have fun, but maybe, like, rein in the fun. I thought that was the whole deal with, with some of the trades, some it, of the players it, well, they sent out until, of town. It is until you're 6-16 six and 16 <laughs> against the American League East. <laughs> Hard to have fun, though, when you're 6-16 six and 16 Well, maybe you should American change League it East. up. Maybe what you were planning on doing before the season started is not working. Yeah. Maybe you try something a little different, right? The quicker you make that adjustment, the sooner you buy into something that'll mm. help you. It's not like he's chasing pitches. He's not doing that. He's getting good pitches to hit every single time he walks to the plate. It's just for whatever reason, the front foot's not getting down on time mm. in an athletic position. You can see it. It doesn't take a guy that used to try and do that, who used to do that, which yeah. have his foot in the air when I'm starting my swing and my rotation. Like, you can physically see it. Fix that. Have a little fun doing it. And and the Vladdy thing for me, look, I go watch batting practice a lot. Now, since we've moved five to seven, it's been a little tougher. But yeah. uh, I've... I've I go a lot. It's rare that you see him there in batting practice. Sometimes you see him in early work. You know, he'll mix it up, and Guillermo Martinez is the hitting coach. He'll mix up who's going well, say, at 3 o'clock to, to go with Vladdy, and then the next day it's sort of reverse. It'll be Chapman, Vladdy, Bo, Vladdy. Like, he's trying to mix in a different voice, right? Just hang out with your buddy, and maybe that'll work. Maybe show up, you take 30 swings in batting practice, try and hit 30 homers. Mm. Try that. If you can't do it in batting practice, you're not going to be able to do it in the game, mm-hmm. right? So that's those are two things. If it's me and I'm in the organization and I'm one of the hitting coaches, I'm going to start there. Like sometimes the conversations 
have to be a little tough for hitters to get it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where they need to start. Okay, so let, let's, yeah, you, you mentioned it, that right now, and it's hard to argue with the records, I mean, the Orioles are on a, a more than 100-win pace, and the Blue Jays Ooh. notably are not, and yeah. they've been awful against them, haven't won against the uh, Baltimore Orioles this season. Oh, but, four, I th- yeah. but I think if we break it down, we would say that the, the Orioles certainly have uh, an advantage at the back end of the bullpen with the velocity. Although swing and miss, like Blue Jays have gotten plenty of it out of their bullpen. Bullpen for the Jays is good. Uh, despite Chris Bassett's uh, bump of the road yesterday, I mean, he's allowed to do that. It came at an inopportune time, but guy's been one of the more consistent Blue Jays starters basically all season long. The Blue Jays have an advantage when it comes to starting pitching. You think so? Yeah, the Orioles are 22nd in Major League Baseball in starters ERA. The offense is where I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out because you're right. There's a couple of guys that are supposed to be linchpins of this offense who were real good in April, and Matt Chapman was Major League Player of the Month yep. in April. The tinkerer was doing all that tinkering in, in spring training and mm-hmm. not getting the results, but he got the results uh, right out of the gate. But since then... It, it has not been the case. But here are the numbers, Kevin. Overall, Blue Jays actually have a higher OPS than the Orioles, 757 to 753. Blue Jays almost have as many home runs. They have 78. Orioles have 80. Here's where the difference lies, and this is where it's hard for me to, to say that the Blue Jays' offense is, is other worlds inferior to the Orioles. With runners in scoring position, Blue Jays' OPS is about 100 points lower. Than the Orioles. Orioles 797, the Blue Jays 696. Home runs, they've hit seven fewer. The Orioles have hit 25 home runs with runners in scoring position. Yep. Blue Jays have hit 18. It does still feel, and I know the process is bad, but it does f- still feel like a matter of time for this offense to look a lot better than it has since the start of now, April. Now, a lot of that's bad luck because er- early in the season, Dalton Varsho was getting a bunch of those at-bats, right? And yeah. hitting cleanup and coming up with a lot of guys on base. And, hitting third today, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. He played the hot hand. I like it. Like, mm-hmm. you, you, you get Kevin Biggio in there. He's hitting some homers. Like, he's standing a little taller. So, he's getting in fastball counts. It's, if you're playing the hot hand. You're trying to get as many dudes in there, lengthen out your lineup, Maybe you'll run into one, get a big hit, right? Mm-hmm. Braddish doesn't give up a bunch of homers. So you may need to string together some hits. You need some guys in there who can do that. It's the big hit, and it's the aircraft carrier. It's Vladimir. I mean, I, we say this all the time, but it's just you, you wonder because, again, I hate to say this, and I hate to call it this, but those amateur approaches that you're seeing consistently over and over and over again, it's just puzzling. Like it's it's almost like the either they're having a conversation in the dugout before the game, and it's just for whatever reason when he's walking to the plate and other guys walking to the plate, it's just the opposite of that. Instead of going, hey, you have all this talent, let's refine that. Let's walk to the plate and be who you are. If you need to look middle in with Something hard, look for that until you get to two strikes and then do whatever you have to do to put a ball in play with two strikes. Try that. That's what he was doing in 2021. Mm-hmm. You go back and look at those things. He didn't chase as much. He didn't swing as much in 2021. That will tell you right there all you need to know. Doesn't take a smart person to have to tell you that. That instead of going and saying, I'm looking in, there's nine quadrants. You know, you got three. Yeah. Top, middle, at, at the bottom of the zone. Pick three of them. Pick three out of the nine until you get to three. Until you get to two strikes. Try it that way one time. Until you consistently see that from certain guys in this order, I just don't know consistently what you're going to see. Right? It's 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 sort of all over the place. So 
I think you got to give a lot of the times credit to the teams they're playing. American League East is no joke. Yeah. But some guys need to have better approaches that will force translation between the lines. And just consistently, you don't see that. And I got to say, it's frustrating for me to watch because the talent off the chart with Vladdy, I mean, it is second to none. The things he can do, the bat speed, the ball off the bat that everybody screams and yells about, exit velocity, is off the charts. It's just the refining of that approach and why you consistently don't see it day to day. We had John Snyder on the show yesterday. He said the exact same thing. It's not mechanical. Mm-hmm. You you would think it would be because of the way it looks when he swings at bad pitches, but when he gets his pitch, like that ball a little middle away and a little elevated, he hammers that thing, stays in a big part of the field. He can get out in front of that thing. If he's a little tardy getting started with his fruition, like it's just refining that. It's an educated guess kind of thing. It's looking in certain quadrants. It's consistently doing those three things for an elite hitter. Mm-hmm. Start there, have the tough conversation. If you're one of his coaches, and say the the reality of this thing is if you don't get it going, the well, six and sixteen is going to get bigger. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have an OPS under eight hundred, you're going to hit what? He's on pace for about twenty home runs this yeah. season. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's no way to go through life. Um, Bobichet, I mean, despite the fact that he is a free swinger, he does have that approach, and we talked about that before. Mm. I. You buy into anything that it's now 17 games, 73 plate appearances since his last walk. Uh, those are both the, the longest stretches of his career. He's also like going through, for him, a bit of a slump. His longest comes, walk? He, he hasn't walked in 73 at bats? In 73 plate okay, appearances, so you 17 think, games. So you think if you're Boba Shett, you, you, you got streaky George Springer. Yeah. He's up and down, right? One yep. day he looks like the best hitter on planet Earth. The next three days he looks like Barker. Uh, whoever's hitting third, whoever that is, you know, it could be uh-huh. Brandon Belt, it could be Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it could be Dalton Varsho. He's sort of, you know, yes, <laughs> that's all over the place. So if you're Bo Bichette and you're thinking, man, I'm having an unbelievable year, B- barrels getting to ball all quadrants. Like mm-hmm. I can hit that thing at my ear, I can hit that thing at my toe. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and do that all year. Got a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts won't always add up to being able to get barrel to baseball. So he's trying to do things maybe a little bit too much because of what guys are not doing around him. I mean, he's doing the thing maybe that we've talked about Vlad trying to do the, you know, trying to carry this offense by himself because he's been the most consistent offensive player. You could argue Vlad, he doesn't have to do that because of Bo. Yeah. Because George Springer, when he's hot, you don't have to do that. Just Mm -hmm. do you Mm -hmm. be you Mm -hmm. have a good approach that you can do at the plate. I, so yeah, I think, I, I don't think you read too much into what Bo's doing just because of the, you know, I think once you start seeing the big daddy hacks, the helmet flying off his head, you know, the pretty hair, all that thing, once yeah. you start seeing more of that, may- maybe then you start having a conversation of whatever. But until then, I think it's, again, you know, it's a round thing with a round thing. Dudes throw hard. Now now the conversation, if you're an opposing team, has changed. It's not how do we get Blatty out. No. It's how do we get Bo out. That's a great point. So I wouldn't read too much into that's my point. I am surprised to hear you talk about Dalton Varsho hitting third and not having an issue with it. And obviously, Six he's for been, his last eleven. I get it. No, but I, the I've, heard, I've listened third? to this show from the beginning of the season. I said, don't hit cleanup. It's not a cleanup hitter. He's never <laughs> okay. done that. All right. So, I mean, there's a huge differentiation. Like you, you differentiate between third and fourth, and like that's so. Every if, time if he listen- was hitting fourth. That you'd be not a cleanup. You'd be out. Yeah, for whatever whatever reason, whenever he sees his name in the cleanup spot, okay, his approaches are different because of how easy he is to get out Mm -hmm. when he's hitting there. 
Mm-hmm. Right? There's just something to a guy in that spot. When you're on the other team and you're thinking about who's at the top of the order and how do I keep people off base before the cleanup hitter comes up? Because a lot of those runners in scoring position numbers that are bad are a lot because of Dalton Varsho's slow start offensively hitting cleanup. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not his fault, but it's, they're going to put him in that spot. We have to talk about him like a cleanup hitter. They're trying to play the hot hand, mm-hmm. and, and Vladdy's not hitting. Like, it's, like you're trying to uh, somehow jumpstart something when this is what you got. I mean, Jeff says this all the time. You got a giant payroll, and you are hanging your hat off of a Brandon Belt hitting cleanup or third for you. Oh, you're, you're hoping that Kevin Biggio's figured it out. Because over the it's last a lot, right? it's three just, weeks, it makes you scratch your head a little. Kevin Biggio, as expected, uh, in the lineup, he's he's batting ninth. Kevin Kiermaier getting bumped up to, to seventh as they split up the lefties. Wood Merrifield good for Kevin. Good, good for Kevin. Over the last I, three weeks, um, hitting three thirty three. That is tops on the Blue Jays. Four home runs, tied for second. That's Kevin. on the Blue Jays. And then yeah, the the, the walks are coming. The on base four fifteen is chase rate. Of uh, just fifteen percent at second on the Blue Jays over that's that a big deal. You know why that's a big deal? The the one thing he's trying to do because he's not an everyday player is getting fastball counts. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's cheating, but he's got a better chance of staying tall with his upper half if he's getting in fastball counts and have an educated guess that something hard will be coming in that count. I can get it started a little sooner. I can stand a little taller. You know, he's the launch angle guy where he starts his swing and his upper half is sort of bent, which creates the barrel going below his belt. What's the ball do if you make contact? Goes to the air. Well, what do you do if you're an opposing pitcher? You see that? You elevate the heater. It's hard to stay on top of that thing, and it's hard to time it up and catch it just right with the big giant uppercut because of what your upper half does. Now, all of a sudden, he's made a little adjustment getting it started sooner, not chasing as much early in counts. He's finally bought into, I can't, or I don't like breaking ball. And if I'm going to stay in the big leagues, I'm going to have to start doing some things to fastball. And the only way you're going to do that is getting better counts. Educated guess. Yeah. Be who you are. Yeah, which is a guy that, yeah, doesn't swing a And I think he'd be the only one all year has been taken up for him. (laughs) Jeff, come on this show. He lambasted him and. You know, he's a 26 guy. Like, it's not yeah. his fault he's on the team that well, the manager likes him. It's not his fault. No. And, yeah, and even last year, I, you know, this guy has not been an uber-productive baseball player the last mm-hmm. couple of years, but his on-base percentage is still a, usually above, above you like that, league huh? average. Yeah, I like guys that don't make eight outs. Eight pitch out? Well, it, yeah, he's got a lot of eight pitch outs. Sure, sure. No. He does. It's it's true. <laughs> they yeah. figured out that, yeah, you throw a fastball to a guy who doesn't like to swing, that, yeah, it, it, eventually he's going to have to swing the bat. And when that happens, it's it's not generally good. Um, mentioned one of the, the big mottos for this team going into the season was maybe ease up on the fun. One of the other things was was play clean baseball, which we've seen more. Bring back the jacket. <laughs> no, we've seen <laughs> defensively they've been a little cleaner. I, I take clean baseball also to mean doing the little things in the box. So yesterday, first four innings, Blue Jays had a runner on second base. No, before the game was out of reach, and Chris Bassett um, had well, it was a, a third a inning. Vladdy comes up with the one out in first and second, mm-hmm. down a run. Mm-hmm. Those are the at bats that we're talking about, right? And had a bad strikeout, chased a pitch he shouldn't chase because mm-hmm. he has to. He's one of those guys for me that has to go up and looking for a quadrant. Mm-hmm. And if it's not in that quadrant, don't swing at it. 
it's those kind of at bats. But I'm with you. It's do you throw that in the mix of the clean baseball thing? Right? Yeah, I do. Right, runner on well, second base, no out. You give yourself up. You hit a ball to the right side. They scored twice, right? The, yeah. So yeah, so they had yeah four straight innings. They had runner on second base and none out. They scored twice. Two out of the four innings they scored, but. This team for the season is well below league average as far as scoring base runners from third base with less than than two outs. I was going to pose it to you. Yeah, is that part of clean baseball? Because we think about it as being a base running thing. Championship baseball is what that is. I mean, and it's no surprise that, that, I mean, you can guess who's at the top of the leaderboard with that. It's Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. Like, I mean, they hit a bunch of home runs, which will hide some woes, Mm -hmm. which is sort of not what the Blue Jays do all the time, right? Because the big boys in the middle of the order are sort of – lost their way but yeah it's the little things right it's it's knowing who you are it's knowing who you're playing it's knowing who's on the mound for you it's knowing who's on the mound for them you know if you have issues with somebody that's on the mound for the other team and runs are going to be hard to come by occasionally it's okay to give yourself up stay inside of baseball hit a little weak ground ball in the second baseman to move a guy to third with less than two outs so the dude on the on deck circle all of a sudden now can have a productive at bat without getting a hit that's the whole goal right you want to be a great team everybody yells and screams about being a great teammate i've always thought a good teammate or a great teammate's a guy that can go first to home for me score on a ball that you shouldn't be scoring on that's a great teammate i don't care if you take me to dinner Score for me. Mm-hmm. Make me a little bit of money. I think what you're talking about is sort of the same thing, right? Yes. And that's championship baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jose yeah. Barrios on the mound for the Blue Jays today against Kyle Bradish, uh, the righty. And the Blue Jays with with three lefties in the lineup today. I mentioned Kiermaier getting uh, bumped up. Uh, Kevin Biggio hitting ninth. Playing first base is, of course, Brandon Belt going on the I.L. yesterday. Uh, the Orioles stack in the lefties, seven of them Ooh. against Jose Barrios. Kevin, now we know lefties have been a bugaboo for Barrios his entire career. Like he came over from the Minnesota Twins, still with a, a career stat line that he was a he was a pretty significant splits guy yeah. against righties, against lefties. Yeah, yeah. He was able to manage uh, to get through those lefties when he was in Minnesota. Not so much last year. Yeah, uh, and not so much at the beginning of this season, but recently, last six or seven starts or so, yeah, he's figured something out. It seems, and the numbers would suggest he's throwing the breaking ball more to, to lefties. And the, and the changeup. Yeah. So what, yeah. Do you see, what are you seeing from Jose Barrios against lefties well, recently? Well, to, to your point, which is a good point, last six hey, starts thanks. against lefties hitting 241, he's giving up no homers. That's the one thing, right? That's good. Is the Orioles hitting a bunch of homers. Yeah. Feeling frisky, they're young, yeah. right? They want to get the ball, they want to get the barrel out in front. That's when you're feeling that way and everything's going right and – you know, you're laying off that good one to get yours. And when you get it, you can't, you don't miss it. For, for me, the reason why he's struggled a little bit is, is it's a slurve mm. and not a breaking ball. Mm. Slurves to lefties usually don't go real well, right? Because if you stay, especially if you're throwing that thing three-quarter arm slot, right? A lot of three-quarter arm slot, you may get under that thing. It's a cement mixing, sort of looks more like a sweeper than a slurve. You know, a slurve is sport, sort of that in between a breaking ball and a slider the mile per hour. You want a little bit more break on it, right? So you're trying to change speeds, get a guy out front, miss the barrel, get some weak contact. If it don't do what you want it to do, that's back leg city. I let that thing travel a little bit. It's elevated. I can catch it in the middle of my body instead of out in front of my front leg. That's sort of, for me anyway, been his little kryptonite. His adjustment is I've eliminated the windup 
I can repeat my delivery. I have the same release point, which allows me to throw multiple pitches at multiple speeds where I want them to go now. And now I've added the two, the front hip two-seamer to a lefty to get the freeze, right? So now he's throwing the slurve and the breaking ball. We've seen some 79s. We've seen some 81s. We've seen the harder one at 83. So he's got different speeds, and it's got different shapes to it that he can steal a strike, he can eliminate you, he can throw a harder one to back foot it to a lefty, he can throw it down and away to a righty, and he's had the changeup, which is a nice little pitch too, right? He's a sinker ball guy. Mm-hmm. can elevate the four-seamer too. So he's added some weapons, he's cleaned up his delivery, it's repeatable, and he can self-correct, which is, <laughs> that's giant, right? Don't do the same thing over and over and over again because you've been there and done it before. And now I've corrected a bunch of things that were bad with my delivery and it's repeatable and all of my pitches will go where I want them to go. So it's helped him a little bit to get those numbers his last six starts against lefties. Get ahead, stay out of the middle of the zone, be unpredictable with two strikes. If he can do those three things against the seven lefties, he'll give them a chance to have the big inning. Yeah, no home runs is, is big. It's a huge deal. Don't allow home runs. Because uh, home runs uh, help, uh, help teams uh, win baseball games. Sequencing is a big deal. Ask Bassett, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the split like a lefty last night, uh, I think, uh, to Frazier. It's mm-hmm. the split finger away for strike one. How he wants to get him out is a slider back door or a back foot slider. But to set it up, the cutter in has to be good. If it's non-competitive, instead of 0-2, it's 1-1, mm-hmm. And now if I'm a hitter, I've eliminated the inside part of the plate and I can dive out over, which allows my barrel to be better out in front of the plate, which allows me to create backspin on something spinning. Adam Frazier hit that one off his shoe tops. Absolutely. Well, there's a reason why he did that, because now as a big league hitter who's been around forever, educated guess. Mm-hmm. Stay within yourself. Be who you are. What I'm are trying. you trying to do? I've eliminated the cutter in. Now I can look out in front. Use my barrel better. Mm. Just doesn't happen because. Well, I, I think at some point the Blue Jays are going to win a baseball game against the Baltimore Orioles. Tonight was, would be as a good a time as any. 0-4 mm-hmm. against the O's. 6-16 and 16 against the American League East. That uh, winning percentage, a robust 273. That is the third worst record within their division in all of baseball. Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> the other four teams mm-hmm. are the Royals. The Rockies and the A's. Those are those are three of the six worst it's not teams. Not the category in, in, you, you want know. to be with yeah. those teams. A's and Royals not where you want to. Although the A's on fire right now. Mm-hmm. Winners of seven in a row after uh, the reverse boycott yesterday, which we will uh, get to later on in the program with Eno Saris. But coming up next, we'll talk to Doug Glanville, ESPN MLB analyst, former Major League outfielder. As Blair and Barker continues, I'm Ben Ennis filling in for Jeff Blair on Sportsnet 590, the Fan and Sportsnet. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, it's Blair and Barker, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Sportsnet. Ben Ennis filling in for Jeff Blair. The Orioles, I mean, just, they just keep winning. They're good. I mean, it's middle of June now. Four games back of the Tampa Bay Rays atop the American League East Crazy. division because the Rays can't beat the A's. Uh, and the Orioles, all they do is beat the Blue Jays. 4-0 now against the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's talk to uh, Doug Glanville. ESPN MLB analyst, former Major League outfielder. Doug, thanks for doing this. Uh, I, I guess, you know, middle of June, we, we got to say the Orioles are real? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great to be on. Uh, yes, the Baltimore Orioles are real. And, uh, you know, we definitely have gotten our taste. I did Boston and the Yankees this past weekend. And this one question we bring up, like, what about Baltimore? And, and they just know that when they're preparing against this team, they have their hands full. And, you know, they built on last season. They have this incredible young catcher in Adley Rushman, and he does everything. He manages the staff like a veteran, uh, great discipline at the plate, and become a leader really early on. And, and when you think about the back end of that bullpen, you, you better get a lead early or you're in trouble. Uh, Doug, you played for nine years in the big leagues, and, and I, I want to ask you about approaches and how hard approaches, adjustments, in-season are to make, right? If, if you're not having a great approach, say you're expanding, uh, you're having one approach in the dugout, and then when you walk on the on-deck circle and your on-deck circle walk from there to the plate becomes different, how hard is it to get that back on the tracks? Well, it is tough, and part of it is, you know, you have so much information to synthesize today, and you have to figure out, like, what stays and what goes. You have to filter certain things out that are working that you can actually apply a routine to pregame and also execute when the speed becomes really high speed at the major league level in game. And um, it is tough because you can spiral very easily of, like, okay, let me try it this time, and then all of a sudden you look up and, you know, you're facing a Cy Young pitching staff. So, you know, making in-game adjustments is tough, but I'd say that adjustments are really the key to your success on every level because whether it's game to game, you're also making in-game, in-at-bat, even after one pitch, you're trying to say, what is this guy trying to do to me as a hitter or what am I trying to execute as a pitcher? And the guys that are able to make those in-at-bat adjustments often can get that success or get out of it quicker or have a moment where, they work a walk, and instead of an 0 for 4, it's an 0 for 3 with a run score. You know, those make little small differences so that any struggle you're in may not prolong as much. And and the quicker you can do that, the better off you can get. Doug, I wasn't a very good hitter. I, I had to go up and look fastball right down the middle, try and, you know, not be late anytime, right? Just get the foot down, drive down and through yeah. it, stay in the big bar, part of the field, and, and hold my finish. Like, that was what I was trying to do every single at-bat. But now, because there is really no fastball counts, right? They're, they're going to throw breaking ball. They're trying to punch you out. Do you think guessing is sort of having to become an art nowadays? At least if you're a good oh, hitter. It's an art, but yeah, well, it's an art, but you also now have so much more information and data where that art is, is like an educated guess. It's yeah. a little bit, uh, the guesses are became uh, sharpened in the sense with all the information at hand. So yes, it's true. There's no fastball count, maybe three and oh, mm-hmm. uh, but even then, you know, they're cutting it, <laughs> they're sinking it. Uh, there's nothing straight. I remember playing with Scott Rowland and it was the early days of the cutter. And he got a 3-1 count. He pops up with, like, second and third. And, you know, shortstop, he, he walks off the field. And he just yells in the dugout, does everyone have a cutter? Does everyone? <laughs> so, so, you know, like, 
now we can measure this, right? We know exactly the patterns. So I think you, as a hitter, if you can broaden your ability to either identify or attack different pitches, you could have more success because you are more inclined to have better information on when that pitch is coming. Uh, but it's coming faster than it's ever come. Mm-hmm. So hitting is really tough today. Uh, but um, but it's how you synthesize the data that can separate things. Well, and, and yeah, I think we're all we're, we're kind of talking around the, the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. situation well, right no, now, yeah. Doug, because uh, Vlad has not looked like peak Vlad uh, basically since the beginning of May had an OPS just over 700. Bobichet's going through like a little bit of a mini slump right now, but for the season, he's been the, the superior hitter. When you're facing the Blue Jays, do you think when, when opposing teams are facing the Blue Jays right now, are they game planning against Bo Bichette and and less so against Vlad? Like when you when you look at a, at a three-game series against the Blue Jays, is Bo Bichette the guy that you can't let beat you, or is it still Vlad despite the fact that he's off to a slow start? Yeah, you still have to know where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is at all times. And and I say that, you know, on a couple of levels. You you don't know when a Vladimir Guerrero kind of breaks out. And when he does, it's power hot. You know, it's, it's extra base hit hot. It's also a guy that goes back to my original point, has a tremendous discipline. And he may be out of it a little bit now, but his core comes back to someone that has a general sense of the plate as opposed to his dad who could hit pitches over his head and bounce and all that other stuff. He's a lot more framed than, than his father was. And I think in general, he's seen as a hitter that can have plate discipline. Those guys, yeah, they, okay, they'll get their walk here and there. They get this up, but then they come out and then they find their zone again. And they become so dangerous. If you're, if you're a super aggressive hitter like a Trey Turner or even to a certain degree Boba Shatter, you know, guys that can really attack the zone and they're good athletes, you know, the challenge with them is that when they're cold, those offers really rack up. They're not necessarily getting on in other ways. Uh, you know, in terms of statistically. So I, I'm confident all these teams know exactly where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is. And they might have a plan saying right now we could get him to chase the slider away right now. But there's a right now to him. It's not that you're framing him permanently and a guy that can't make adjustments. And that's what makes him dangerous and why I think he'll come out of it and also continue to have a, a great career that, like everybody else, you have to make adjustments in, in season and in at bat. Doug, do you think the Mets are any good? That's a good question. <laughs> yes, they're they're good. They're talented. We'll say that they're talented. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're 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 not they're not producing right now, and you know, Alonzo being out doesn't doesn't help things. But they are talented. I look at Bren Nimmo. I look at their order. Obviously, Lindor, you know, is not like a two twelve hitter or whatever he's hitting right now. Uh, so, but they're not in sync, and there's a lot of pressure because they have the highest payroll since like NASA was formed. You know, and so they they are really expected to do do much better than they're doing and the Braves just look you know phenomenal they just have a lot of depth and Michael Harris the second is hitting so yeah but they're they're good they're not playing well and I've seen them a few times they're more on paper right now and it is not syncing up and they're going to look up and be in a lot of trouble if they're not careful Doug, have you ever been on a team that is expected to win and they thought firing the manager would help and did it actually help if you're on one of those teams, that's that's a good question. I, I um I've had I've never had a manager fired in season, and they, I feel good about that in some ways. You know, certainly, yeah. Uh, but you know, I I did have managers fired at the end of the season. Larry Boa, one year, and um, Terry Francona uh, after I think it was 2000, um, right after the year. So it's um when I look back at those years, 
you have to own it as a player. You know, you have to own it that, you know, you weren't putting it together. You may not have performed as well. Uh, but there's no doubt accountability at certain points going to rest on the manager and maybe even higher up at certain points. I do think it matters, you know, I, and look, I, you know, I think of someone like Charlie Montoyo, right? Someone I love dearly. I, I played with him in Puerto Rico. And there's times where you make changes and it might just be a new voice. It may not be anything that he failed at. He might have done exactly what was expected from the interview. Mm-hmm. But the culture shifted, the team shifted, new players came in, and for whatever reason it didn't align with that particular manager, get a new voice. That's what makes managers like Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy, these legacy guys that just can resonate in every generation and every iteration of the game. That's what makes those guys amazing because they have a sense of a knack for people in a certain kind of way that gives them longevity. And even then they've been out of the game, retired, fired. all, all the yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, it, leadership matters. It, it does. And, but I also combine that with timing and, and aligning with the personnel with a team that's willing to put the resources in to do what it takes to win. Yeah. yeah. Buck Showalter was pretty good last year when they won over a hundred games, but I don't know. I guess it got dumb yeah. overnight. Uh, no, they're, they're, like, <laughs> yeah, this Mets team is obviously underperforming. It also doesn't help to have like two pitchers who are making almost $90 million with ERAs, like approaching five. That's bad. Uh, they do lead, though, the major leagues in, in pitchers ejected for sticky stuff as Drew Smith joins Max Scherzer <laughs> yesterday, Doug. And he had the, the same defense, right? He said it was just sweat and it was just Roz. And I talked to a major league official in the, in the, in the tunnel and he kind of laughed because, yeah, he didn't see anything. I mean, it, it does feel like we need a more scientific way to evaluate what is actually on, on the hand. Like, what do we do about this? If it, if it is, in fact, like two players on the same team that didn't do anything wrong but are both ejected and both going to serve, I imagine, 10-game suspensions here, what do you make of the fact that, that, that Drew Smith and Max Scherzer have, have both been ejected for seemingly the same stuff? Well, number one, you definitely need to somehow come up with, like, some baseline. Uh, and it's hard because, you know, well, you can go to my – I wrote a parenting – uh, a column for The Athletic that just posted in tribute of Father's Day, but I talk about how all the new rules enforced by the umpires is like a parenting nightmare because they're like, wash your hands, you know, <laughs> time, get ready, get up, you know, point, make eye contact. You know, you're constantly, these are things I say every day to my kids. So I, I understand it, it's, it's challenging, and I'm sure there was warnings or discussions and try to figure it out. I did one game where Domingo Herman of the Yankees came out and they, they checked his hands and then, you know, the manager, you know, the opposing manager got married in Baco Baldelli because they didn't kick him out and all these things. Right. So, so they have to figure out some standard way. And I know you try to put apparently rubbing alcohol, all these things could actually make it worse. <laughs> so, so, but yes, you're supposed to use the rosin bed. You're not supposed to bathe in it and all these other things. And everybody knows now you're trying to, sometimes you're trying to get around it or, or work, you know, a little bit of an angle, uh, just like, you know, pine tar or whatever the, the way they get grips on the baseball. So they have to, they're going to review it. This, this is where I'm confident. The commissioner's office is very responsive. They try to figure out how can they continue. They know this stuff is new and they're going to have to continue to work at it. But yes, it's consequential to these teams because you lose, a key pitcher for a long period of time and you know you can't get that back doug i just don't understand why they just don't do it when they come to the mound you come to the mound you get the rosin bag you throw a little on your hand it's it like instead of trying to cake it on in the bullpen and the dugout before you're running out for innings i I just don't understand that part of it right it's that trying to get around some umpiring crews are a little bit more lenient i would assume 
right? Some guys that, who have right. been suspended say, you know, this crew said it was okay. This crew suspended me, so obviously it's not okay. That that part of it I just don't understand, right? It's real simple for me. Like, if you're getting suspended, a first ballot Hall of Famer was suspended for it. Like, just walk out there, throw a little on your hand, that's it. Yeah, well, I think that one of your points is well taken. When I talked to Aaron Boone, the Yankees, we did the game last week, we were, you know, Domingo Herman. I mean, they try to, like, make sure that he doesn't, you know, doesn't cross any lines in the dugout. They, they're they all trying to be tuned with that in between. When you have a rosin bag, it is a legal bag, right? There's nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, yes, they're trying to say, like, hey, you know, it's like, okay, you everybody might speed on the highway. And, you know, and, and I'm using miles per hour here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you go 65 and a 55. Yeah, okay, that's cool. But you can't go 112 in a school zone, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's like when you kind of like kind of push it to that far people are like look i can't turn i can't turn away from this right so and and so yes there's discretion but these new because these rules are new the discretion seems like arbitrary right it starts to feel arbitrary because it's like well we're we're supposed to be in, you know implementing like we did in spring training where we were hardcore on everything you know pitch clock yeah. and look don't forget, Max Scherzer was kind of pushing the envelope in spring training, right? He was, he remember he held the ball to like 0.01 seconds and he was like, he was doing all kinds of stuff. So did they, were they a little upset about that? I don't know, but he was definitely trying to break the system before it was a system. And, uh, and yeah, and I saw Max Scherzer in San Francisco and he, I, I, so I said, man, you know, what about rubbing alcohol? He says, I did that. We, it actually makes it more sticky. <laughs> so He's he's out of his mind at this point about it, but yes, they, yes, you're 100 percent right. They gotta they gotta go over this, and I think they will. They will. They will continue because when you lose a player on any team for 10 games, you gotta really look at you know if the discipline was the, what they're looking for in the game and, and how they can rectify that. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to see any more Max Scherzer out it's of not his a mind. good look either, right? No, 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 not when it's on the same no. team. But yeah, no. uh, Max Scherzer's frightening when he's angry. Uh, Doug, I uh, appreciate the time. Thanks yeah, for this. Great stuff. Thank you. All right, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks. All right. This is Doug Glanville, ESPN MLBM analyst, uh, former major league outfielder. It just seems like silly when we got, you know, 60-year-old dudes that are just touching your fingers. That's that's the, the protocol. That's how we figure out if you're using stuff that you shouldn't use, despite the fact that, you know, the well, stuff that is uh, permitted to be used is actually sticky. But, yeah, like, how sticky is it? Well, because dudes can't hit it. I mean, that, that's what this comes down to yeah. is they're trying to get more offense in the game. And the only way you do that is don't let them use that much sticky stuff. Like, it's mm. it's too sticky. It's common sense. Like, it's it's not brain surgery. Like, if, if it feels to you like it's too much, it's probably too much. No, but this is what I'm saying. Like, you, you, you it shouldn't be – there shouldn't be somebody who's making an – not an arbitrary call, but not, we shouldn't have discretion. It shouldn't be – up to the umpire to decide what's too sticky, what's not sticky. Yeah. Some some brilliant scientist out there should devise a test, right? Like a test for stickiness. I don't know. If there's a scientist listening, perhaps yeah, they can I'm come not up sure with something. Enough, there's enough pitchers that are abusing it okay. that they would have to do that. You're, you're thinking that you can just suspend enough that they say, look, enough. The, the optics of this is just atrocious. Like, enough is enough. Yeah. Be smart enough to know that when you're leaving the bullpen, if you're caking that on with yeah. something else and then you rub it across your forehead, probably not going to work out well for you. No. Just understand that. So that that part of it, I just, yeah, because they're trying to let it be a little easier for a hitter to hit it with velocities and the way they throw secondary pitches in any count. 
and the spin rates on those things, adding that sticky stuff to it, it's just too much. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they're overthinking it here. Maybe up the ante a little bit. Instead of 10 games, make it 20 games. Mm. I bet you won't do it 10. Well, yeah, it is 10 games, and his yeah. teammate was already suspended for yeah. 10 games, but even still, uh, Drew Smith. He laughed it off too, right? Uh-huh, I guess. It's funny. Yeah, it's, that's not going to be so funny when I you're not like getting your idiot, paycheck for yeah. a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah get it. Yeah, uh, yeah Mets have uh, been awful this season. Man. And even with the sticky stuff, well, I guess less sticky stuff and, and start against the Yankees. Uh, maybe could have used some sticky stuff, but hey, I mentioned it. $86 million combined between Max yeah, yeah. Scherzer. Lindor's and not been real good either. Lindor was over three yesterday, had a couple of walks, but he's hitting 213. Yeah. Kevin, like it is June. And I, so much of our Blue Jays conversation, like I do, man, we just have to go back to last season where Boba Shit was hitting seventh in August, right? And yeah. ended up. With the most hits in the American League, he mm-hmm. ended up as one of the best hitters in all of baseball. Things can Tough change. Conversation. And you, you got to have it. No, but you can, things can change. Um, like the narrative of the entire season can change even in August. And we're in June here. Yeah. But man, they're in the National League too, right? They got a chance. Mm-hmm. Teams in the National League for the most part, I mean, it's top heavy, mm-hmm. but they got a chance to still, yeah, just get in. Mm-hmm. That's the Phillies, right? You don't have to win your division. Braves are really good. Probably not going to win that. Get in. You got the two dudes, Hall of Famers. Like, you get them hot at the right time. You get the polar bear back doing his thing. Lindor somewhat, right? Looks like velocity. The elevated velocity with the breaking ball seems to both sides of the plate not agree with him, right? And that's the adjustment is, is the how do you fix that? You know, maybe you're just one-sided for a while. Don't try both. Maybe you maybe you go outside the box. I don't know. (laughs) That would be extreme. Do 13. Like, what else? It's like the Chapman thing. Once it's the sample size is so big, yeah. it's time to buy into something else. Yeah. At least for a little while. Well, I mean, what is a big sample? That's what that's what I'm getting at. It's June thirteenth. That is a, like it's a it's a it's more than like yeah, I'd say an 30 April. Game, thirty games a lot. Like Matt yeah. Chapman, thirty games, that's a lot. Lindor, I mean, that's been a quarter of the season. That's a so, lot. So right? do you, do you just throw out the April that not, Matt Chapman had then because he was having success with the adjustments he made, as I mentioned, in spring training that looked so, not so great in spring so training. When you, when you hit a bazillion in the first month, <laughs> what did. do khakis on the other team start doing? Paying attention to yeah, you. How's how he do, doing that? How do we pick at you and get you out? Well, what do you do? You elevate the heater and you flip it in fastball counts. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they're doing to him. So. I look. I I just think maybe you go back to eliminating that little toe tap for a while, not the whole season, for a little while, which allows you to get your front foot down on time, allows you to maybe hammer a couple of those elevated fastballs to force them to do something else, and then you can go back to it when you get frisky again and yeah. have confidence to where you don't feel like you have to tinker every pitch. What you see him, that's why you see him run over there and he's flipping the iPad as soon as he rolls over, pops out the right field. (laughs) Like he has to know right away what my tinkering did to screw that up Mm. so I don't do it again, which is makes you wonder what the conversation's like behind the scenes, right? Yeah. Makes Uh, you wonder. It's got to be better than uh, it's been since May for Matt Chapman. All right. Time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. This is where we uh, bring in. Producer Mark Boffo. Hello, Mark. What's up, fellas? All right. So we got a pretty simple uh, line here today. We just want to know who's going to win. Jays versus Orioles tonight. Blue Jays are winless against Baltimore so far this mm-hmm. year. How do we see it playing out tonight on the money line? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah. It's hard to uh, 
to bet on the Blue Jays right now against anybody in the American League East, and especially against an Orioles team, which, as Mark mentioned, they're 0-4 against. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of reasons to. Okay. Okay, they haven't faced Kyle Bradish yet, right, in the four games against the Orioles. They faced him five times last year, though, Kevin. Yeah. Tell you what, did pretty well against him. Mm. 898 OPS, uh, and Bradish had a, a 695 ERA. We mentioned it off the top of the show that Jose Barrios against lefties, it hasn't gone so well his entire career, but recently he's been a lot better. He had no homers against lefties in six straight Starts, uh, the Orioles are going to throw a bunch of lefties at him today. Seven of the nine hitters are either switch hitters or left-handed hitters. I, Blue Jays are going to win a game against the Orioles, okay? I know it feels like yeah, yeah, they're yeah. miles better than the Blue Jays, but, yeah, I think it comes tonight. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really? going to – yeah, because I'm in a good mood. That's nice. And, and, and Bradish, when he is behind in the count, mm-hmm. batters are hitting 339. Right there. Just knowing that stat. Simplify that. Take the close one. He'll give you a good one to hit if you let him. Just do that. Now, the numbers would say otherwise because the Jays are 15 and 15 after a loss. Doesn't bode well, right? Mm. The Orioles have won five in a row, 16, six and 16. But I do think because of the way Barrios is throwing, the way he's throwing the lefties, I think this changeup and the slurve, the different mile per hour on the slurve, will be good enough to get them a win and have somebody run into one late. Mm. Maybe the sixth inning, maybe Vladdy. Yeah. Vladdy like hitting on the road. That, that Got nine homers nice. on the road. Yeah. You know what? In DH today, and he has four of his nine homers there you in go. the DH spot, despite the fact that he's had about a third of the plate appearances. All right. That was between the lines brought to you by bet rivers. It's a whole new game. Yeah. I mean, the Orioles are just, they're just good now. Eight, 83 wins last year. Kevin, we thought that was pretty good. Uh, they sold at the deadline, though. 110 losses in 2021. Boy, it looks like uh, there's going to be some purchasing. We'll talk to Mike Elias, Executive VP, General Manager of the Baltimore Orioles, next as Blair and Barker continues. I'm Ben Ennis, in for Jeff Blair. I'll be in the uh, rest of the week and also on Monday. Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and we are live on Sportsnet as well. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parker, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and Sportsnet 360. Ben Ennis in for Jeff Blair. So, building up a, a baseball team, it's it's a multi-pronged approach. Hey, maybe you lose a bunch for a bunch of years. Or maybe it's just like one year. 110 losses for the Orioles in 2021. And then surprise last year with 83 victories. This year, second in the American League East, just four games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, winners of four straight against the Toronto Blue Jays, looking for the series victory tonight at uh, beautiful Camden Yards. Let's talk to Mike Elias, Executive VP, General Manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Thanks for doing this, Mike. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing very well. So, uh, yeah, that last year was a surprise to many. Uh, this year is still a surprise to many, but, but it's the middle of June. At what point do expectations start to change on the fly? And maybe you can speak to the expectations for your team going into this season. 
I think our, our hopes, our goals going into the season um, were to make the playoffs, you know, which you guys are in the same division we're in. Um, it's, it's crazy good right now. And, you know, we're, we're just proud to kind of be in the thick of things and back in the fight in the American League East after what the franchise uh, went through for a few years. Um, so, you know, we feel like we're, we're right in there uh, mingling, mingling, mixing it up with um, the Rays and uh, the Blue Jays and the Yankees and the Red Sox. And, and um, we're proud of that. But our, our hopes and um, goals and, I guess, increasingly expectations um, is to try to get into the playoffs. Mike, whatever you have, what you're trying to do, make the playoffs in the American League East, but you're trying to do it with some youth sprinkled in there. How do you judge them throughout the season when you're trying to do that as an organization? Well, there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, we certainly um, look at their production, but we also have to look at some underlying things that that, um, might be more informative as to how they're really doing, you know, how much bad luck are they having, what are we expecting to do going forward. So we have tools, uh, typical tools that we use for a lot of that, Uh, but then there's also a in-person um, scouting evaluation by our evaluators and our, and our coaching staff. So I think every every team, every front office has a different blend, but um, everyone is is using both of those um, tools in their toolbox to evaluate their players, whether they're young or old. Mike, I, I think a lot of people um, were surprised that there, there were not more significant additions this past offseason coming off the, the 83 win year and obviously uh what you guys did has worked out to this point how strong was the temptation to 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 add payroll to this team that exceeded expectations a year ago well we did we did add uh it, it, it's gone up um i i understand you know we didn't sign yeah. any multi-year contracts any mega contracts um but we brought in um in my mind about six um additions to the team either through trade or free agency and, um, you know, right now, I would say that uh, four of those guys are having a huge positive impact um, on the team. So it may not have been as, as splashy a winter, but I think, it, you know, that the results so far have been good. These guys have done what we've asked them to do, which is sort of reinforce the roster that is, you know, primarily built around kind of a, a young, homegrown core. And, um, you know, I'm speaking about, like, Kyle Gibson and Adam Frazier um, and uh, Ryan O'Hearn, um, Corb and guys like that. You know, they've, they've been uh, great, great contributors um, so far. James McCann, our backup catcher. Um, so it's really worked so far, but we've got a lot of season left. Mike, I wonder how, how you know when you it's time to go all in. Like, is it do you look at a certain player? Do you look at standings? Uh, do you look at your record? Like, how do you... I mean, I, I guess that's a hard question for you to answer this this part of the season. But you guys got a really good team, and you're in second place in the in the American League East. I, how, how do you sort of know that? Like, is there a blueprint for that? Well, yeah, I, th- I think the job of uh, running a baseball team is trying to keep the franchise healthy and competitive. And it's very rare for a team to go all all in on one season. But you start pushing chips in, um, you know, the more that your your playoff odds increase and you know right now i think as it stands you know we're going to be looking to be buyers but we don't know what that market looks like at the mm-hmm. trade deadline but you know we also have the number one farm system and we're you know we're not going to just um get rid of that uh and be irresponsible about it so 
um, you know, it's just a balance. That's what every team's trying to do and try to make good evaluations on all those things. But, um, you know, certainly we feel like our competitive windows open. Um, but, uh, you know, in the American League, that only, that only comes with so much. And uh, it's just it's one of the best divisions in the history of sports right now. And we're all kind of clawing away at each other. Mike, is it hard to look at how other teams and organizations are doing? Uh, no, I follow it all the time because, uh, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, get smart ideas about the way other teams uh, run their organizations. You know, we have to compare ourselves with them because we're all competing against one another. Um, and that's, I guess, part of the benefit of being in this division while it makes your playoff uh, pathway much more difficult is um, the competitive edge, I think, that all of us have by having to compete against these five organizations on a day in and day out basis, uh, you really can't afford uh, to slip too much. So I, I think, I think we all enjoy that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot you're enjoying right now. Again, uh, this is a team with uh, eight of the, the top 100 prospects in major league baseball, according to MLB pipeline, you're, you're second in the American league East, you're on a hundred win pace. And then you pick guys up off the scrap heap, like Aaron Hicks and, and, and they look <laughs> like the old Aaron Hicks. I mean, can you speak to that, Mike, that, that this is a guy, obviously with the track record, it's been a, a rough couple of years for him in, in the Bronx. So they're just guys that just need a, a change of scenery. Is that what you saw in him? Uh, yeah, I think that was part of it. I mean, the timing couldn't have been more perfect from his or our uh, side. You know, he had been um, uh, designated for assignment, and that kind of takes a few days to play out. And we were interested in him um, possibly for, for depth at that point. And then he got released. And then, like, a day after he got released, uh, Cedric Mullins, our center fielder, got hurt. And so I was scrambling, and I said, uh, you know, I, I know we were talking – a little bit uh, before, uh, but now this is like fly over here and get in the lineup kind of kind of thing. And uh, sure enough, he, he did that. And uh, I think it has been, you know, as we've been struggling, um, especially in a big city, big market, and it's been multiple years. That's that's tough. And I think the change of scenery, particularly in those circumstances, can can be um, beneficial. Um, so I'm happy for him that um, you know he's gotten off to such a great start and uh, you know it's been the right guy at the right time for us with uh, Gunnar Henderson is there one specific thing that you've put your finger on that would tell you okay we put him in the leadoff spot because he now all of a sudden is very aggressive in the strike zone I think that's the underlining part of that in the strike zone is it all about that what he's swinging at well, um, uh, you know, our, our manager, Brandon Hyde, uh, handled the, the lineup decisions, but I mean, not to speak for him, but I think, you know, with Cedric Mullins, who is our typical leadoff hitter out um, against right-handed pitching, we've been mostly going um, with Adam Frazier, who's having a nice season. Um, but as Gunner started to heat up, it became more, made more sense to put him up in that spot. One thing that he's been doing forever and all year, even when he was struggling, is drawing walks. So I think getting that big uh, on base percentage at the top of the lineup uh, makes sense. And he's kind of the hot hand right now um, with Cedric out. So it's sort of what our lineup looks like. And it's been working. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't been a linear progression for all of your prospects, right? Uh, Grayson Rodriguez was uh, just recently sent down after a, a strong start. The Blue Jays have their own young pitcher who was sent down for the first time in, in Alec Manoa after two very strong years in the major leagues of baseball. Like how, how much a part of, of most major league baseball players uh, and their progression and, and, and establishing themselves as major leaguers 
is going down to the minor leagues and dealing with disappointment and adjustments? I think it's rare uh, nowadays to not get sent down uh, for, for big prospects. And, and uh, you know, I know uh, the Blue Jays have some, some special players where, you know, they were able to come up and kind of stay up. But that's, that's kind of the, not the norm. So it's really, to me, you know, not a big deal um, when something like that happens, young pitchers struggling. Um, it's just part of the game now. It's just so uh, competitive. And the thing is, the jump from AAA to the majors is, is like no other jump that you've experienced in the minor leagues because um, there's no other level for people to get promoted to. So, you know, you're, you're facing uh, the best players in the world all of a sudden. And they're all they're all in the majors, so it's 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 tough. Um, it's tough for any young player uh, nowadays. There's a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny on social media. So I think it's something that all organizations deal with. Mike, I know the moving the fence back in, in left field has helped the pitching in Camden Yards. I, I wonder. I, I saw the two homers from Henderson and Ahern left center yesterday and I started thinking about me being a hitter and you know both of those guys are left-handed obviously and they're thinking about big part of the field but I wonder as an organization have you seen as a lineup as a whole start trying to go big part of the field if you're right-handed there right that that moving the fence back further in left field you may not want to try and hit it there stay in the big part of the field create some backspin you seeing any of that with your lineup you know, we've definitely uh, talked about that. Whether or not that's actually happened, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, we, you know, like you said, we did the move um, for the pitcher's sake. This was a, just a really tough place to pitch. You had cheap fly balls just blown out, and it was a big problem for us. And you couldn't attract uh, free agent pitchers on one-year deal. So this was sort of the quickest and easiest way for us to go from an extreme home run park to something that's a little more normal. Um, and it's uneven, but that was the way we could do it in a short amount of time. Um, so, the, the, you know, the, the people that aren't crazy about it are the, the right-handed uh, boppers, mm-hmm. um, whether, they're, whether they're on other teams or, or ours. You know, I, you know it, it can be frustrating. Uh, but I think that could be one bright side is uh, trying to, um, you know, kind of keep those guys working uh, middle up, at least, at least as an approach, um, so they don't get into some bad habits. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, we're still trying to figure out how this new Rogers Center, the, the dimensions play, because, you know, everybody assumed it would be even more of a, a hitter-friendly park uh, because some of the fences were brought in, but some of them are higher. And for whatever reason, it has been very pitcher-friendly. How close to your projections did, did Camden start playing when, when you moved the, the, the fences back 26 and a half feet and you, you raised them six feet taller? Like, how close to what you projected to happen actually happened? I think pretty close. That you know, it's it, it's tough to judge off of one season, and really, um, it, like we haven't gotten into the humid parts of the summer here yet in Baltimore when the ball really starts to fly here, um, and that uh, when that happens, and it happened last year, it was a big reminder why we moved the ball back in the first place um, because it starts playing much more normal at that point in the year. We just haven't gotten there, but. Um, it did about what we thought it was going to do, which was, you know, turn this into a much nicer place um, to pitch. Yeah, uh, it's, it's been nice uh, for your team uh, on both sides of the ball, I would say, <laughs> yeah. uh, to start this season. Mike, uh, thanks so much for this. Congrats on the start. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Mike Elias, Executive VP, General Manager of the Baltimore Orioles. They're, again, on a 100-plus win pace. Crazy.
they have no committed money to any baseball that's players crazy. next season. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, they have eight of the top 100 prospects in all of Major League Baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. It's like one of those things that and I think people said the same thing about those uh, Astros teams who yeah. kept losing and losing and losing, but a- accumulating these incredible prospects. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Alex Bregman's, Carlos Correa's of the world that, hey, it's there's no guarantees in sports. But if this team's not competing in in-world series in the next five to ten years, something's gone horribly, horribly sure. wrong. That yeah. That is what it feels like when you're talking about this Orioles team. Yeah, they need pitching. I mean, it comes down to that, right? Sure. You you have all the plethora of athleticism running all yeah. over the field, right? And you got the big boy standing behind home plate who's putting the finger, pushing the right buttons and sort of commanding, I got it. You need that, right? Up the middle defense, that whole nine-yard kind of thing. So they sort of have that taken care of. It's just me, the rotation. Mm-hmm. If If they can go out and get whatever that is and spend the money to, I don't want to say force, a good free agent to come there or borderline great free agent. Cause I think you may have to do that. Just, you know, crowd support and it's Baltimore. Like I, I don't yeah, know. I don't know how money. free agents feel about that. And they will go to the highest bidder. And if they are spending tons of money, which you would think they are yeah. with ownership and what's going on there, you would think they figured that out and hopefully they spend some money, but yeah, they solidify the rotation. And I, dare I say, could they be better the next Two or three years than the Yankees, than the Jays. Like the 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 depth of the Jays is non-existent. Kevin, it's like, like it's non-existent. Yeah, There's well, nothing there. They lost 35-year-old I mean, DH Brandon Belt who's coming off a knee yeah, surgery. You're, you're pulling your hair out, wishing he was back today. <laughs> they lost one starter. Yeah, and and they they got no nobody they got else. No, they got nothing. So <laughs> they, that, that's why the conversation about Matt Chapman being traded on this show from me and Jeff has been had yeah. because of that reason. You can't if you're, like, in and around a playoff spot, I guess. But. Why not? Let me ask you a question. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Okay. If, say, they were a game and a half out of the playoffs, mm. wild card, not not the division, because let's be real. <laughs> uh, let's be tough. I yeah. mean, there's three teams in front yeah. of you. That's, that's, a, that's a tough. That's a tough one with Vladdy not hitting and, you know, Chapman non-existent. Without him. Uh-huh. The second the after after the trade deadline, your chances go way down. I'm not making a wild card spot. Way down. Yeah. Do they? Yes or no? <sighs> yeah. Because let's be honest, you ain't bringing him back for two hundred million dollars next year. No. There's no chance that's no. happening. I mean, I don't know who you're playing at third base, but yeah, it's, well, it's, you figure it out. Yeah, it's not match happening. Yeah, well, you all, all you got to do is raise your hand and say we didn't make the playoffs with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm going back to that Orioles team of a season ago again, which surprised, and they were above 500 at the trade deadline, remember? And, and it was a situation where Orioles fans were like, oh, it's happening. This is not an abomination, what's happening on yeah. the field anymore. And they still went out and they, they traded away Jorge Lopez and they traded away Man, uh, Trey Mancini. It's working. And, yeah. And they went, in, and I know Mike said that they did spend some money, but this is still one of the mm-hmm. lowest payrolls in all of baseball. They got a lot of room, is your point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying sometimes you got to make tough calls. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's a tough call. Well, not the way they played right now. They're 0-4 against the Orioles, and they're 6-16 you know, against the division. I'm not saying that part of it. Because, but with what the future will hold mm. with your third baseman, yeah. which in my mind, he's not going to be here. Yeah. It's not even so an option. you just suck it up and you play Santiago Espinal well, as your third base again, for the rest you of the ask, season you anyways. Ask, you ask yourself, is your playoff hopes out the window because yeah. you just traded him? Yeah, well, because not the way he's hit since the start of May. Maybe Alec Manoa comes back okay. and, it's, and it's better. 
Well, yeah. And when you, I mean, you comes back, he's better. Maybe Vladdy catches fire. And to my point. That's my point. Yeah. About trading away Lopez. Because you have nobody else. You have nobody else to trade. No, no, no. You ain't trading Bo. You ain't trading Vladdy. You ain't trading Springer because nobody would want him. Maybe you trade Kiermaier. I mean, yeah. that, might, that might be the guy you trade. Kiermaier. You know, most valuable Whit players Field, Maybe you trade him. Yeah. What are you getting for him? Yeah. The one guy that stands out to you that's not coming back next year. Be a tough call, be a tough sell, but sometimes you got to raise your hand and be the grown-up in the room. Mm. Yeah, it'd be a tough call. That, that'll be an interesting show when that happens. Yeah, yeah. I'll be, I'll be sure to listen. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the pending free agent, Matt Chapman, uh, hitting sixth today as uh, Dalton Varsho up, up, to, to, up to third. Kevin Kiermaier Good for them. Get, getting bumped up to, to seventh. Kevin Vigio in the lineup. He's hitting ninth. All right. Um, let's hear from the manager. Here's John Schneider ahead of the Blue Jays in their middle game against the uh, Baltimore Orioles from Camden Yards. John, uh, the decision with the lineup tonight, particularly with Varsho third and Vladdy hitting in the cleanup spot and the kicky moving up. Yeah, I think shaking it up a little bit, trying to, you know, get guys on for Vlad, not ignoring what um, Kike has done, what Varsha is doing. And uh, and Kevin especially too, kind of acting as you know like a second leadoff guy to get some traffic for George and Bo. Um, you know, I think we're getting guys on. We're not really getting them in consistently. So uh, I thought it was a good day, especially with the way their bullpen is. Um, you know, with the left, the three lefties in the bullpen, Pockets. it gives us some flexibility at the bottom too. With uh, with Jano and SB on the bench. Right. The same. I mean, fine tuning it a little bit. I think what's gotten him here is having a really good routine in between and not taking any pitches off in his bullpens. Um, when he's really good, like we've seen him, he's executing at a really high level, uh, especially with his fastball. He'll have to do that again tonight against seven left-handers in their lineup too. So um, it's kind of just been more of the same for him. And for Kevin I mean, Kev has been, I mean, it's a credit to him for the work that he's put in this entire year and not wavering with it. Um, for him specifically, I think just continuing to understand his overall um, game plan. I think he's getting himself in really good counts and he's not missing his pitches to hit. That's been his MO his entire career. Um, tougher to do when you're playing a little bit sporadically and you want to get a little bit more aggressive. So I think just kind of understanding his approach, um, understanding what makes him really good, and he's on a good little roll right now. I'm curious, in the springtime where you always sit down with the guys, um, what was your conversation with him knowing that you may not get regular playing time? Yeah, pretty candid with him and a couple other guys, you know, and that's a tough part of, you know, having a deep, um, good team, I think, at times. He's been totally professional. I think he's been through um, plenty of ups and downs in his career. And, uh, you know, to his credit, you know, I think the quote he said to me was, I'll play seven positions in seven days. Um, doesn't matter where I am um, as long as I'm Gotta performing. Hit. So, like anything, performance goes into it. Um, and right now he's in a really good spot. Boom. Yeah. All right. Some in- incredible reporting there yeah, done gave, by Hazel gave, May. He gave great answers about the lineup. Play yes, the hot hand. Did. You got Link with Biggio at the end, getting on base for the big boys at the top of the order. It makes sense of why they did it. Now, you can't blame the manager. Now it's about going out as a player uh-huh. and having the approaches that they preach, yell, scream, shake, whatever it is they're doing off the field to try and get these guys to have those better approaches to get the fullest out of every single one of those guys. And 
I think it's funny. He he just threw the Vladdy thing in there. Getting Everyone, runners on for uh, Vladdy. Well, I mean, I we we can be we'll we're going to beat this to death because without him, they will uh, they will be a fourth place place team the rest of the season. Yeah. That that's that's the reality of this thing. They know it. A fan of the Jays knows it. You know it. I know it. Whoever else talks about this team knows it. Until you figure out how to have him having better approaches, but I, I like the way I, I like the way he answered it. Yeah, I like that he's doing something right. I, I don't. Yeah. I hey, what you really need is you need some some big hits with runners in scoring position. No question. And there's no there's no secret sauce. There's no there's not. To my knowledge, something that you can tell the players as far as getting them to come up with those big hits. But now the fans can't go, well, why isn't he doing this? Yeah, why does trying. he play the hot hand? Well, he's doing it. Yeah. I will recall a conversation that you and I had, and I had talked about Kevin Kiermeyer and his hot bat and, and moving him maybe up the lineup a little bit, and you said you just keep him right there at the ninth. He's up to seven. Yeah, that was two months ago when I talked to you about that. <laughs> okay, things have changed Start since the then? season, absolutely. You okay. know, people aren't hitting. You're not hitting when it matters He's the still most. banged you're up, losing. though, too. You're 6-16 and 16 Oof. You saw in him the American go over League the, East. Yeah, you saw him go over the fence uh, yesterday. He, he mistimed his jump. Yeah. I mean, he times that better, he's out. He catches that, maybe the game's different. Yeah. Again, when you're playing a really good team, a team that's better than you are, yeah. your timing has to be good everywhere, and I'm sure he would tell you that. That, you know, he should have caught that. Like, that's balls that, you know, you go, you jump, you time it right, you run to the fence, you look up. He's better at that than most people. Normally, yeah. he nails that, and then he's catching those balls. And it's sort of when you're not winning, it takes one little move that you don't make mm-hmm. that can sort of add a bunch of separation well, and sort of. And I keep going back to those first four innings where they had opportunities to, sure. I mean, add more well, than two Well, the Vladdy in the third inning, right? First it's and second great. down a run. It's all Swinging at first like pitch. It's an, it's an first amateur. First pitch on the, on the black. And any, no, it, that's not an approach. Yeah. That's the point here, right? Yeah. It's it's when he's walking by whoever coach, there's 90 of them over there. <laughs> whichever coach Maybe wants they need to have 91. a conversation. Whichever coach. Wants to have the conversation and say, what are you trying to do here? You sitting fastball? You setting up and in? You setting down and away? You sitting soft? Okay. Sit on it mm-hmm. until you get to two strikes. That's the conversation you have. It's not mechanical. Like, I know everybody wanting to point to that, and that's easy. Mm-hmm. It's not. His mechanics will look on point mm. if he gets his pitch. I promise. Yeah. Uh, it's been a problem. Um, yeah. Before we take the break, we mentioned this to Mike about, the, you know, the dimensions. Mike was great, he was spectacular. He's he was. Yale ed- educated. I mean, we didn't mention the fact that he is a khaki. He's a dyed in the wool khaki. Mm, hey, they got one some of the best khakis in baseball. Yep, uh, and he would know it. Um, but yeah, they 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 changed the dimensions of Camden last season. Um, they had to because it was like the easiest. Did they have to. I mean, like he said, are you going to go they're, out? They're and- trying to hide poop. Is what they were trying to do. Basically, that's what. Let's let's not lie about it. And then all of a sudden, they were like, "Whoa, this could work!" Mm. Like you see it, it shows up balls that were way up or not way up anywhere anymore, and they're out. You can get away with the Kyle Bradishes of the world, mm. who throw a couple of pitches and get away with a bunch of good balls in the middle of the plate because of the fences. Yeah, that's the. the like I, I, I know we're trying to read a bunch into this, and it's helped. And I'm not taking away anything that the Orioles will do. They got a, they're starting to be special everywhere. Yeah. I mean, let's not lie. Like, it's a thing now. Like, they're a really good organization. Mm-hmm. They're up there. But their first thought was, how do we hide not good? Okay. 
Well, Let's move the fences back 26 feet. Is that what it was? 26 That's and a half a feet. That's a long way. It Who is. And then, 26 well, feet? Not only back 26 and a half feet, up six feet. So let's not lie about it, right? That is a significant difference. Let's not lie. When they thought, when they were thinking this, they were thinking, man, you know, we don't like to spend a ton of money. How can we get away with running dudes out there not real good? Move that fence back. Pitchers that are not real good, right? Absolutely. No, but this is what I was going to get at. Like, at, at a certain point, where do you – I mean, and the Yankees have always gone out and got, you know, the, those pull hitters at Yankee Stadium. They're going to flip it into – It's inside in, out to right field. Okay. Um, yeah, we're, well, Derek Jeter going to inside out to right field for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, at a certain point, you do start, you know, going after players that best suit your ballpark. And I, I look at Brandon Belt. Uh, I look at Dalton Varsho, and what was the first thing that we no. talked about? Those guys, the new dimensions, let are going to be banging balls out of Rogers Center you, left and right. Yeah, let me ask you a question. If you're a a, a fringe free agent uh-huh. who's right-handed and it's got power, you going to Baltimore? Yeah, not a chance. No, Say not. it right. Not a chance. You're going there. There's no <laughs> even if they opposite, paid you, even if they paid you a little bit more money than everybody else. You're yeah. going everywhere else. It's like Juan because Gonzalez. you can make way more money oh by adding the 15 more homers or 10 more homers or whatever it is. Mike even said that right. That yeah. right-handed power hitters don't like that, and that's why I asked the question: If you're left-handed and can stay in the big part of the field in Camden Yards, well, now you're cooking. It's like poor Juan Gonzalez when he, he he before they changed the dimensions of Comerica, coming off that thirty nine home run season in in Texas in ninety nine in in Detroit mm. at Comerica, where was it? It was it like graveyard. Anyone that's ever been to Comerica now and you look at it, and it's still a difficult place to hit yeah, a home yeah, run. You couldn't see the fence. The, the, <laughs> the fence was behind the bullpens. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, he had twenty two home runs in, in two thousand. Uh, yeah, it can, it can have an impact. No question. All right. Uh, they don't have much of a ballpark in, in Oakland right now, uh, and we're apparently in the, the dying months, it seems, of of the A's. I guess they're not going to build a stadium for next season in, in Las Vegas, but like we're on the verge of them officially being on the move from Oakland to Las Vegas. Yesterday, they had a reverse boycott to uh, help encourage Sean Fisher to, to sell the team. I don't know if that's going to happen, but they, they had a good turnout. Almost 28,000 fans you were there. Say, it, was, it ain't going to happen. No. It's a weird scene. It was kind of a cool scene. Was it sad? I think it's sad that they're leaving Oakland. I do. I think because the field stinks and the team's not real good. Yeah. But it's still, anytime a team leaves a place that they've been for quite a while for 55 years, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know if, should it make me sad watching that? I think it did a little. Oh, I think it should make you sad. And because I'm a baseball fan. And while there might not be, Billions and billions of, of baseball fans in Oakland. There's certainly yeah. more than a few. Yeah. And 28,000 of them uh, showed up yesterday. Ian Osiris of The Athletic, he was there. He was checking it out. He'll uh, he'll join us next. As Blair and Barker continues, I'm Ben Anderson for Jeff Blair. It's Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's Sportsnet 360. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blair and Barker, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. I'm Ben Ennis, filling in for uh, Jeff Blair. So yesterday, 
I mean, the hottest team in baseball, the Oakland A's, and uh, their fans staging a reverse boycott, which is in, instead of keeping the owner from getting money, you, you give him money. Although they they donated the the proceeds from the extra seats that they sold yesterday, uh, twenty seven thousand seven hundred and fifty nine Oakland A's fans watched uh, the A's push their winning streak to seven games to beat the That's Rays awesome. two to one. Good First two them. games of the series, it was uh, it was strange. It was as you mentioned, kind of sad. Uh, Eno Saris of The Athletic yeah, was at the uh, Coliseum yesterday, joins us now. How's it going, Eno? It's going great. I mean, uh, it was. It was equal parts happy and sad, which is uh, one of the one of the weirdest experiences to have in person. Uh, somewhere like almost, and I hate to say this word, but kind of like a funeral where you're yeah. kind of happy to see everybody and uh, there's a celebratory part of it. You're celebrating a life. You're celebrating the life of a team, but you've just gotten the news that, you know, things are going along in Vegas and seem to be progressing well for Vegas and uh, that this might be the last time that you see those people in the bleachers that you used to see all the time, those, those drummers. You hear the vuvuzelas, and uh, yeah. uh, you see all the other season ticket holders are just the people you saw at the games. And uh, It was a great time, but it was sort of tinged with sadness the whole time. What, what was the weirdest part about it, you know? Because I, I saw a number of different weird things, but it, it, what was the weirdest in, in your estimation? Uh, I mean, there were some really specific signs that were like, you know, like, don't let, uh, don't waive the relocation fee, <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, and some really specific stuff about like what MLB owners should do. That was kind of funny. Um, I think the, 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 the real sort of salient line was between saying sadness and anger almost more than happiness because. Uh, there were all the sort of F. John Fisher uh, chants, and at the very end, that turned into a little bit of ugliness in terms of just throwing trash onto the field. Um, and the reason I caught ugly is like, you know, who's picking that up is like staff and you know people that already are having a hard time, you know, trying to work. Not for John Fisher. May not be here. No. Yeah, not John Fisher. He's not cleaning that up. So, uh, so you know, I didn't like that part, but I understood it because underlying the sadness was a real anger. And it's something that came up in my piece today. I, I was looking at, at, at attendance and, you know, in the early two thousands, they, they had like middle of the pack attendance and they were a good team and they got 2 million people per year and it was fine in 2018 and 2019. They were good again. And they, they got, you know, a million for 20,000 a game. It was not as good. And I think one of the reasons I looked at all the economic reasons, the Warriors, the Giants, if the economic status of Barians had changed, all this stuff. And the real only thing that had changed between the early 2000s and the late 2018 and 2019 was the way ownership treated its fans. It started talking about moving in 2006, moving to San Jose, moving to wherever. Um, it stopped doing dollar days, it stopped doing promotions, stopped having good beer, stopped having good food, stopped staffing the place. Even payroll went down from like, you know, 20th in the league to like 28th in the league. So there was, um, they really leaned in and it, it really does have some shades of major league to it. How, how did the players handle this? They're sad. Yeah. They're sad. Trevor May went on the IL earlier this season, and he said he went on the IL for anxiousness and for just sort of depression. And when I asked him about it, he said, "It's 
sort of, you know, yes, maybe 60, 70% of it is personal life stuff. Yes, you know, that's my own stuff. But he said the rest of it is this. And he just waved at the locker room and at Oakland. <laughs> and he was just like, this is giving me anxiousness. And it was, I was very happy for him to get the final out and get the save in this game because you saw how fired up he was, how happy they were to play. Seth Brown has been on good A's teams with, you know, decent, with decent fans. And he said, I'm just so happy they're going to be here tonight because when they're here, it's so fun and it's so loud and it's one of the best places to play. Uh, so they're, they're sad. People who work for the A's are sad. You've taken away their future if you think about it. You know, baseball, is a, especially when you're on a bad team, it's like, oh, but Esther Reeves is going to be the star center fielder for the good team two or three years from now. When you tell them you might not going to be in Oakland, you take away their future, and it's like, well, Esther Reeves might star for the Vegas A's, I guess. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it's, it's sad. And there is like a, a, a person that is in the crosshairs as far as the, the fans' derision, and you mentioned it's the owner, it's, it's John Fisher. Mm-hmm. I mean, say this all fell apart um and the the oakland a's you know had to to continue playing in oakland and john fisher was still the owner i mean is it has it become almost untenable like what why would you want to own a baseball team um when like one of the major you know bonuses of doing that besides you know the accumulating of wealth as the, the value of the franchise goes up is you know pe- feeling like people love you that that you are you're not the, the the subject of derision. You're you're beloved. But why why would John Fisher want to continue in Oakland? How how hated is he in that community? I mean, I, I'd like I, I it felt that night like you know un, un, irreparable. But you know, I had to say it. Money talks, and yeah. the real thing that's happening here is John Fisher's trying to get four hundred plus million dollars of taxpayer money. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it is. He had. 380 in Oakland, and he's gone through this whole thing in Vegas just to get to 400. We're talking about 20 million dollars of tax money. I mean, maybe part of it is, hey, I get extra 20 million and I get out of Oakland. But um, you know, from all of my analysis, Oakland is a superior market to Vegas. Vegas is the, would immediately be the smallest market in baseball. It's the 40th biggest uh, media market in America. <laughs> So if you think about that, 40, right, you've got 30 teams. It's, it's definitely the smallest. Uh, you know, the Bay Area is 10th. Even with sharing, uh, it's a bigger market than Vegas. Vegas is, is older uh, people. And I think d- d- depending on uh, tourism is not great. You want to have a team that, that the locals go to. So the Vegas Knights, they were born in, in Vegas. They have shirts that say born in Vegas. And they have a good fandom because they, Vegas feel like that, that's their team. Now the Oakland A's are going to come in and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is our team. They're going to depend on the Yankees fans coming to Vegas for Yankees games. I I don't see it. I'm I'm always interested that players that play in Oakland every single day, do they mind that stadium? Because when I watch it on TV, I I never was fortunate enough to play there as a visiting player. But every time I watch it on TV, I'm I'm in between, right? When they're good, the fans are there. You sort of, maybe that'd be a cool place. When they're not there, you're thinking, man, that place is not real good. But it sounds like the players you've talked to don't mind it. They play there all the time. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you you know, we work in the business. And so sometimes it's hard to separate 
like it's a working environment from for other people it's a play environment you know yeah so like you know i i go in and i either go to san francisco if they're home or i go to oakland if they're home i don't have to go to oakland you know i I, i'm lucky that way and so i will have to tell you that i prefer to go to san francisco the food is better the parking is easier you can you can take a train the cal train right to it walk over uh it's in an okay part of town like it's it's fine you know, in 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 Oakland, uh, a new food vendor took over, and the food is not as good. Uh, you know, when the food trucks are there, it's okay, but you know, it it, it floods. Uh, the elevator stops, and then you have to go all the way to the top floor, and then walk back down. So as like a writer, I don't love it, but I will say there's something about one of these like concrete bunker type uh, places, like like Shea, um, you know, the old Mets uh, stadium. And some of these older stadiums, like the noise kind of reverberates sometimes in a way that's different. Mm. Um, so I'll have to say when it is loud, it is super loud and super fun. But even then, the lines are long. It's hard to get concessions. The concessions aren't good. So a lot of the stuff that I care about when I go to a park, yeah. they're not good at. Yep. Yeah, wasn't there a possum also living in, like, the visiting TV booth? Like, that, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, it was not yeah. good. You know, the Mets were there, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. a possum. It's not what you want. That's awful. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I would feel for, for A's fans. It's yeah. bummer, man. Uh, it you is know, sad a little. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, there's Eno Saris of The Athletic. He was at the uh, Coliseum yesterday. Yeah, I'm glad you asked about the players because, like... Yeah, does it seem like when... The, you know, the conversations that they have out loud that they mind it. Like when you watch it on TV and there's nobody there, it's mm. just like it looks awful. Like you just, how could you ever play there? And then you see and hear players that actually have to play there, have their home games there. Yeah. Sort of, I guess, don't sound like they mind it. Maybe they're just happy to be in the big leagues because, you know, the organization is not the greatest. You know, it's not the greatest of players there all the time. Yeah, well, especially but, now. Although they're, they're the best team in baseball right now. Yeah, seven yeah. So I don't know. It's just. How you feel for him, but it's about money. Yeah. You know, the owner's making more money going somewhere else. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah, getting more I don't, I'm not sure you can blame him for money. that. I guess, uh, if that's what you're in it for, which I would contend is like, yeah. Well, you, you know should, that's what he's in it for. I know, right. but I would say that owning a professional sports team, yeah, it should be about making money. You don't want to lose money, I guess, or at least a ton of money, all of your money, but it's okay also to lose money as the owner of a pro sports team. I don't have billions of dollars, so it's easy for me to say that sure. somebody can lose tens of millions of dollars of their billions, but I would say there's other things that you can invest in that make you more money than investing in a sports team. You invest and you buy a sports team because you love sports and yeah, you, you, and you want your team to win, and it's not necessarily every day about the money. For a period of time, I would think. And then after that period of time, I would think it gets old and it's about making money. I, right, it sort of wears old. off, and it's like, yeah. man, look at this. I just, it's like a, it's in the red all the time, right? Again, I, I don't know if it is in the yeah, red. Yeah, I don't though. either. I don't either. But yeah, I'm, I'm assuming there's good reasons why he wants to move. Is the point right? It's the you start by saying, you can we try and get a can we get a new stadium? Right. Uh-huh. If you can't get that, then you have to try and think about moving somewhere else. Yeah. And, that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. You, you do need a stadium that doesn't Vegas fly. Vegas is not going to be no a bad possums. place to go either. No, nah, it'll be fine. Well, yeah, Although and, it's going to be a free small... agents won't be hard. No, it's like uh, on the strip. They're blowing up the, the Tropicana. It'd be and great. It, it will be. Uh, it seems like there's a there's a there's a few sports fans in Vegas, despite the fact yeah. that it's the 40th biggest. I wonder market if you're in the an A's Oakland fan, if you're going to follow them to Vegas. That's the big question, right? Yeah. If you're a fan of Oakland and the A's, will you be a 
Vegas A's fan. Like, uh, I, I, right? I get a sense that there are no Montreal Expo fans who are Washington National fans, though. Like, is there a single person? Yeah. That has followed the the expos it's to an Washington. Interesting question. I'm not a I'm not a fan of the right. A's, so yeah. I'm a baseball fan. But I mean, if you're if you that's all you know your entire life, will yeah. you follow? I guess, and you know what, the proximity. It's it's. I mean, you're talking about Oakland being Northern California, and eh, it's probably what like ten hour drive to to Vegas or something. But you can get there. Yeah, you can watch your team. I don't know. Uh, we got time for uh, some back leg line callers. We got a couple. Uh, let's uh, let's go to. Trevor in Toronto. Trevor. Guillermo Martinez, the Blue Jays hitting coach. Why isn't anyone talking about him? Because it seems like the players are going to anyone but him for advice. Yesterday, Santiago Santiago Espinal mentioned that he was talking to Dante Bichette. The other day, there was another player that I believe was Vladdy actually had gone to his uncle, Wilton Guerrero, I believe it is, for advice. So what is the Blue Jays hitting coach doing, and why do they still have him if, if the players don't want to talk to him? Anyhow, thank you. Enjoy your show. Have a good day. Yeah, it's a fair question, Trevor. I, I Look, I, I, I do know that every hitter has their guy or person that they're going to go to when it's hit the fan. Like when it's hit the fan and I need that voice, that seems in the past that voice is just – It'll be okay. Whatever he's spewing, I'm listening, and it's working, right? And maybe Guillermo's just not speaking the right language and, you know, is not saying it the way that I'm collecting my thoughts and, uh, you know, going up and, and executing that. It's fair. Like, like you're, you're basically – this is what I said. If I'm a hitting coach on this team, I'm talking to two guys. That's Chapman and Vladdy. Yeah. And I'm getting them in a room, and I'm saying, how do we figure this out? Like, we need both of you – to figure it out. How do we do that, right? But those are two different conversations, like you've been saying, Not right? Really. Well, you got to be serious. That's the point, right, is 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 the voice in the room. That's why Dante, sort of the, the been there and done it, yeah. might carry a little bit more weight when it's hit the fan, right? Yeah. It's it's He's been there and done it before. It's like, it's like bringing in Donnie Baseball, and Donnie Baseball, been there and done it before. How do you handle the 0 for 15? How do you handle the 110 plus at bats at home without hitting a homer? How do you fix it? What are you doing wrong? Well, is it not translating the conversation? And maybe the tough conversation needs to be had from one of those guys. I have no idea. Maybe they've had it already. Maybe it's just not working. But if you're going to turn this this thing around and the lineup needs to be better, I get what John's doing, and he's doing his best to put hot guys in positions to try and spark guys that are around them, right, to have better at-bats, maybe force the situation a little bit more. But I don't like the elevated fastball. How do I not swing at it? If I have to swing at it, how do I get athletic enough to drive down and through it? How do I have that conversation with Vladdy? What am I hunting early? I'm not a guy that can cover everything. There's too much gather going on. Hand movement, kicking it, elevating it. Pitchers are pausing, holding it, making you stand stale. You see it all the time. You ever seen a pitcher, a good one? Stand out there. We'll get the ball, get the sign with like nine seconds left. We'll hold that thing to one second, make Vladdy stand there. There's a reason why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. It's the big leagues. Tough conversations have to be had. That's a fair question. Trevor Mm -hmm. made a fair point. Well, and, and... yeah, we'll we, see if it's going to work and if they'll make changes. Yeah. Well, and we saw Wilton step in and, and follow Vlad and watch a round of BP and didn't pay off either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of cooks in the kitchen 
right now. All right, let's uh, let's go to another uh, back leg line caller. I'm quite happy with trying to give Espinal a full year at third base. I have faith in him, Bichette, Merrifield, and uh, Junior uh, for an infield. I think uh, with a full-time job, I think Espinal can do a half-decent job and save some money to put elsewhere. What do you think? Yeah, it's fair. Well, I will say this second half, because he played a lot the first half, it sort of fell off because of routines and mm. the mental grind and added to the physical grind of trying to be an everyday second baseman and what it takes to take that many swings, that many ground balls, just tell you how special Bo's been, Yeah, who never gets a day off and never complains about it and would punch somebody in the face if they ever tried to give him a day off. <laughs> like, it's it just tells you how special that is. Yeah. But I think he could be a part of it every day. Defensively, I just I just don't know. I don't think his body type can hold up to what it would take to be an everyday third baseman. But I do think he can be a part of it. I think they have to have somebody else to fill in the blanks there, help out a little bit. I mean, if we're projecting to twenty no, twenty four, like there's some things are going to change. Some you know, yeah, that can't be plan A, B, C, D, E, or F. No, but he's, but he's saying he's starting okay third with that. Yeah, like maybe he would be okay with that. He's not saying that was the plan, yeah. like, but he'd be okay with that. And that's, I mean, again, especially the way Matt Chapman's hitting since the start of May. I mean, the, the the boy you were making earlier about how much are you losing if you trade him at the deadline right now? If he's hitting like this, not a ton. You're losing the 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 glove, obviously. And I, I, I know he didn't win the Gold Glove last year, but like we're talking about a platinum Glover, one of the best defenders of that position in all of baseball. Um, I w- I would say the home run potential. Doesn't exist uh, in Santiago Espinal for a team of full of slap hitters. I mean, just throw another one into the lineup every day. Doesn't sound good. But yeah, Matt Chapman needs to go back to being April Matt Chapman. So we're not having this conversation. Yeah, I think it's easier said than done for some some guys. I think they're, you know, when they get married to things, they listen to a lot of different things. They tinker way too much. It's the big league sort of, when you get your stance, you, you're that's who you are, right? It's You tweak it. A little. You don't tweak it every pitch. That starts weighing on you mentally, and then you start throwing iPads, and you know you you do things. I, so I, it's just amazing to me that they don't have a cleanup hitter on a team that is projected to win a World Series, not make the World Series. Win. There's been there's some really smart people that's been on our show, yeah, who said the Blue Jays, not me, but yeah. said the Blue Jays. We're going to win the World Series. And I was saying, third day of spring training, I said to Jeff when I was down there holding a microphone running around trying to stay out in the wind, that who's hitting cleanup for the Blue Jays? Yeah. No, it was Dalton Varsho. And then I saw that, and I was like, that's funny because he's never done that before. And then how'd that start out? Didn't well, go well. Didn't I, go no, well. Game one, he was, I think he had a couple of hits. And then there was the next 50 games that didn't go real well. So, yeah. So, it was... <laughs> I don't know. It was, uh, no. it, it was starting to work well for for Brandon Bell to pick a bad time to come up with a leg injury. But yeah, the expectations that a thirty four a thirty five year old coming off knee surgery after the the year that he had the the end of the season in San Francisco last year was going to be a mainstay Jeff in your lineup make, for one hundred sixty two games makes, it, makes this point all the time. It's almost because Belt's here that they were trying to get something else and it didn't work out, and that was like a uh oh we don't have it now let's go get him. Yeah. Because nobody really else wanted Belt, right? right? Who'd have been somewhere else? Or at least nobody else is going to give him $9 million. Like, just wasn't going to happen. So it would make you think yeah. that something else was in the works, 
and just last minute it didn't work out, and then they had to pivot, and their pivot was. Uh, Brandon Belt's been good, though. Uh, Blue Jays need him back. It's, it's like <laughs> fingers crossed. Hurry up. <laughs> Can you believe that? I can't, man. I also can't World believe that. World Series like, contender. Yeah, I can't believe that now you're, yeah. I know he's only hitting ninth, but um, yeah, Kevin Biggio's Blue Jays' hottest hitter. You kind of need him right now, too. <laughs> Where would they be without him? Not a lot of depth. Uh, they got swept by the Twinkies. Yeah. That's where they'd have been. Yeah, that's true. It's a large home run. Yeah. Gavin Think Biggio about the that. Inning. All right, Blue Jays trying to do better against the Orioles. Can't do any worse. They're 0-4. Trying to pick up their first victory against the O's. They got Jose Barrios on the mound against Kyle Bradish, who facing the Blue Jays for the first time this season. Faced him five times, though, last year. And they tuned him up real good. Uh, Maybe that's the elixir. All right, enjoy the baseball game. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Ben Ennis filling in for Jeff Blair. This has been Blair and Barker, Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360.